Welcome to the Chronicle Headlines. This week, staff reporter Amina Sargazina comes in to talk with us about frequency TV being put on in a definite hiatus. Rachel Patel gives an inside look at a Chicago Makers pop-up shop story and Irving Nabarro with a Wabash art drop. With us now is Chronicle staff reporter Amina Sargazina. Welcome, Amina. Thanks for being here. Uh, hi, Nathan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. So you did a story on frequency TV being put on an indefinite hiatus while the school works on the integration of film and television in cinema and television arts. So for people who haven't gotten to read the article yet, could you briefly describe what frequency TV was? So, yes, frequency TV was basically a student-led um, video media platform basically what you think how um movies and um others video stuff are operated um it was basically a simulation of uh how people make shows people make television uh programs uh, in it was completely student-led i guess prior to taking on the story have you seen any frequency tv videos shows anything like that uh no prior to that i knew that frequency tv existed i mm. knew some people uh who are in my class like comedy majors who participate in it but i've never seen their work before except for maybe like a second of it on campus no yeah i think for me i think i i did see a few i i know i saw skits such as freak out the series where they collaborated with comedy majors they had some great stuff on youtube there I watched a few of those. And so, yeah, when I heard that Frequency TV was closing, I was I was actually pretty sad because, you know, I came to Columbia as a film major. And, you know, any kind of, like, production, television, like, film, I, I'm just very passionate about. And so hearing that that was put on a hiatus was, was hard to hear. And so I guess we can go and talk a bit more about that. Can you explain about the merging of the cinema and television departments? What is that what does that really mean? Because I know that was a big part of them deciding to no longer continue it. Um, I don't know much about this because I'm definitely not part of cinema and television major. But uh, from interviewing people, what I understand is in 2019, they merged cinema department and TV department into the same thing. Um, and that's what led to decisions like closing frequency TV. Um, I was never explained to why this merge happened, but some people seemed very unhappy about it. Some of my sources thought that's like one of the biggest reason for frequency to close. Right, yeah, and I, I know, I know I, when I was reading your article, I read that uh, one of your sources, was it Chris West or, right? Okay, yeah. I know he was speaking about, he, he expected it to end in 2015. Oh, when the yeah. college became, quote, less enthusiastic about providing a budget for the program oh. and when the merging of the cinema and television departments began. So that's that's just interesting to hear that he didn't expect it to last this long. Yeah, so he was there when the Frequency TV was just a class. It used to not always be a whole paid program. It was just a class, and then then it, like, evolved into its own thing, similar to the Chronicle, uh, and... He said that the faculty was amazed by it, that they gave a lot of funding to it, and they were super enthusiastic about it. But as the time passed, they became less and less enthusiastic. And he honestly said that he was surprised that it lived till 2021. 
And he also mentioned that he was waiting for a call to happen that it's going to end. No, yeah, I read that as well. And I was just thinking, like, imagine just, you know, working every day and just waiting for a call and expecting the call to say, hey, like, we're not doing this anymore. That's crazy. That's crazy, yeah. And a b- bit more on that. Um, I know you talked to Janae LaMonica, right? Yeah. Um, and I know she mentioned that she actually tried to, to save Frequency TV, right? Yep, she did. Uh, so w- she found out kind of like uh, in the middle of the spring semester, so not that much earlier than everyone else. Uh, and she said that everyone's minds were already made up, but she did try to propose. Collaboration, um, right? Yeah, collaboration. And uh, because uh, one of the reasons, like uh, my sources mentioned, uh, w- why they thought Frequency TV might lost their funding is because uh, outside of uh, cinema and television majors, people didn't really heard about Frequency. They didn't really realize their role here. And she wanted to change that which I honestly think is a smart idea. Uh, and But they didn't want to hear her, and they just thought it's, it's I guess, beyond saving. I think that's really sad to hear, because I know that um, one of their freakouts, uh, I believe one of their skits, I think it was Davies Got Class, I believe that won like, an award, didn't it? I believe it yeah, did. Yeah, it went Emmy, uh, yeah. Midwest Emmy. So that, that's not really a sign of something not being well-known, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at your article, and La Monica has a very strong television background, right? And so mm-hmm. she said that the show being put on in a definite hiatus is not a good thing, right? Yeah, so she said when I mentioned to her that um, uh, I was told that it was put on in definite hiatus, she was kind of surprised because uh, she understood it as like it's for, for sure definitely closed. Uh, and she has many, many years of television background, like you said. And she said when people say indefinite hiatus, it's most likely it's not going to return. And the longer the hiatus lasts, the less chances it will. So do you think this is the end for Frequency TV? Or could we see it again, possibly? Uh, I personally hope it's not the end because... A lot of people volunteered for it, even when the paid opportunities became less and less. They had like over 20 volunteers and people get like so much great experience from it. And people landed jobs using this experience. So and the way that La Monica said it's a good advertising thing for the college, because I know many people came here because they heard about Frequency TV. And La Monica mentioned that uh, freshmen this year emailed her about this opportunity and she unfortunately had to say to them that it's over and but the college did not say anything about returning it back so I think at least for this semester or for the couple of next semester it's not coming back but I hope it will that's too bad yeah. I hope it does me too and if I'm being real here it seems like a frequency tv going on and indefinite hiatus is a huge loss for students is there anything the school is doing opportunity wise to kind of supplement for it or are they just doing classes or? um like i said well right now i don't think they're doing anything and i asked la monica i asked eric friedman who's the dean and they didn't look like was something else is happening but students really hope that it will Oh, I hope so too. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Amina. Thank you. Now we speak to Rachel Patel, staff writer who covers Chicago Makers Pop-Up Shop. 
Two small business owners, Anna Romo and Monica Little, started Chicago Makers Pop-Up Shop through their passion for their own brands and a need for a platform in which to share them. The Pop-Up Shop provides a home and outlet for 30 Chicago-owned small businesses. The pop-up opening in November 2020 during the second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for coming on the show, Rachel. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I just wanted to ask you a few questions about um, this story. I was wondering what inspired you or what drew you to cover this story? So actually, Anna Romo reached out to me through email, and I saw the picture she sent at the pop-up shop. I saw her little blurb about what it was and how it inspired people to kind of get out there, put their small businesses out there as well, and have this platform. And it really spoke to me because we are kind of emerging out of the pandemic, and I thought that this was a really good way to support these small businesses. So I wanted to write about it and take that story. What inspired co-founders Anna and Monica to create the pop-up shop? So uh, Anna started by, first of all, getting, she couldn't work at her normal job. She was, I believe, a massage therapist. But um, she also found an interest in doing yoga, and she would make her own candles to meditate and also manifest um, and do her affirmations with. And so she started her own candle store or shop called Virtue Alchemy Candles. And it was because of that she kind of found out that, like, hey, I like doing this. And she would make her own custom candles. And she would reach out to sponsors. She would reach out to other people in the community just over, like, social media who were doing similar things and that's how she kind of found Monica and um, then the two started talking and they decided to make the pop-up shop. That's so interesting. I feel like COVID um, brought about a lot of just creators so to see that there's a space like that that's really interesting. Uh, What type of small business um, businesses consisted at the shop? Like what did they sell? So there was one, Yungi Sumi Styles Pets. Um, that is literally uh, Laura Gonorelli's baby. She will do fine art prints of people's pets, custom um, prints of them, and then put them on like totes, mugs, bags, anywhere that they want. And she does it with ink. And it's based off of like a Japanese art style. So that's one. Um, Daisy Bettens, she has a uh, little Buddha. And they have all natural products like um, bug repellent. They have like air clarifying mists and all these different products that are just vegan, cruelty free. And um, there are a bunch of just others that are like for wellness, I feel like I was getting most of wellness art. So it's a fun variety. Um, I was also wondering, is there a variety of people? Are there, is it mainly women? Is it gender inclusive? Is it race inclusive? Things like that. I would definitely say it's race inclusive. Um, as far as gender inclusive, I the three business owners that I did speak to, they were all women. Who like it was all women led because I vaguely remember something about that being in the email, and I know everyone I spoke to was a woman. So, um, but yeah, in terms of like everything else, it was very inclusive. They were welcoming everyone. They were trying to give everybody a platform to share their business and their work. And then I was wondering, um, what do you think the impact of this space is for the community? I think that for the business owners and the customers who may live around that area both, this is a beneficial thing because like the makers can get their products out there, they can do what they love and they can share their art and share their work. And then the people living in these communities in Wicker Park and West Loop and all of these places, they can see that and appreciate it in this pop-up shop because it's all in one spot. They can go and make these connections with these makers, they can see their products in person, they can really build that connection, and they can just get like a unique piece of work that they wouldn't be able to find on like Amazon. Yeah, I definitely enjoy going to the pop-up shops, specifically in Chicago. I feel like there's, like you said, a lot of wellness, a lot of art, things of that nature, and it just allows communities to see things that they might not have been able to see before. 
out of all the small businesses that you interviewed or saw, which one do you think was your favorite? Like the products that they sold, things like that? Definitely Laura Gonorelli's. I just something about like her story with Sumi Style Pets, like the way that she kind of found a part of herself as she was doing this business and as she would like sign the arts um, with her last name, her Korean last name. Just like it, I don't know, that just spoke out to me because I also am an artist and I love looking at art from different cultures and the way she pulled from that Japanese style and like used um, the ink brushes and she was just putting her emotion into it and she was telling me about how like the whole thing, she wanted to capture the bond between the owners and the pets because she was also adopted and so she really felt for these animals. And so um, I just think that story really stood out to me and then also it's art so the two kind of went hand in hand so that one's definitely my favorite and then like who wouldn't want like their pet on a cool tote bag (laughs) I just think that's sick and then for the business owners were a lot of them um people who lost their jobs during COVID did COVID impact their jobs can you kind of explain that Yeah, so that was one of my questions when I was speaking to them. Um, It turns out that COVID had impacted them all positively. I was fully expecting a negative reply, but COVID actually allowed them to break away from their um, original like corporate jobs and just kind of focus on this thing that was seen as a side hustle and devote their time entirely to it so they could put their heart and soul into these passions and kind of grow them more. So overall, COVID actually helped all these makers. Thank you so much, Rachel. Co-founders opened their West Town location October 6th and their Worker Park shop in early November. Both will remain open until December 23rd. Open from noon to 7 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and noon to 6 p.m. Sundays. The main extended pop-up shop is located at 2064 North Damon Avenue in Bucktown. Information about the shop's future locations can be found on the Chicago Makers Pop-Up Shop's Instagram at Chicago Makers Pop-Up Shop account and their website https chicago makers pop-up shop dot square dot site with us today is staff reporter for the chronicle Irvin Ibarra. thank you for joining us Irvin. yeah thank you for having me love to, love to be here love the space yeah so when i read your story i mean i immediately was just was just drawn to it i mean you wrote about the repurposed uh, newspaper bin which sparked a chain of free community art sharing spaces i know you spoke to the the, the student that started it right yeah, so I did. How did you come upon the story? Did did you know the student mm-hmm. personally, and how were you able to track them down? Yeah, it was. It's actually uh, interesting. Aside from me being a staff reporter and a photojournalist for the Columbia Chronicle, uh, I've been a part of the street art scene here in the city of Chicago as well. Uh, so I do uh, street art. I work doing uh, getting commissioned to do murals as well, and so I'm quite involved in the community. And uh, the way I actually networked with a lot of the people that I know in this community is through uh, the Wabash Art Shop that's outside of the 623 building. And when I started and came into Columbia 2019, uh, my fall semester, uh, that was one of the, like, the things I noticed <laughs> when I would like come out of the building from like classes. I'm like, what is this box? Why is this here? How does this work? You know. Um, and I think it wasn't until I started, I, I, I became aware of the, the DPC at the time uh, that like they were telling me, oh, this is like just like an art box. You, you go in, you put your artwork there, you trade with other artists. And it, it's, it's just, it's something that I came upon and, and that I feel has become such an, such an important like image of the college in, in a way. It's become such a staple that like, if I think. Right. 
uh, a lot of uh, artists here attribute a lot of their like connections to uh, that, that art drop. I mean, I certainly do. And so that's kind of how I stumbled upon it. I've used it before in like the last uh, three years that I've been at this college. And it's just been a wonderful network tool. No, yeah, it reminds me a bit of sort of, I would say, in a way, Instagram, because, you you know, it's not, you're not like publishing something, but you're sharing art with other people and you're networking. But mm -hmm. I think one of the things that, and you said in your story that draws people to it is the fact that it doesn't have to be like a finalized piece of art. It could just be something you're working on and then kind of getting your name out there without kind of feeling a bit maybe nervous about how people will receive it. Or, you know, I also do art. I grew up, you know, drawing. Um, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm as, you know, in in with it with, as you are, but, <laughs> you know, but no, I, I, that's what drew me to this story was just, it's such a cool, fun thing for the community to have. And so I guess one question would be, you mentioned you've used it over the past three years, right? I mean, do you remember some of the first art pieces that you maybe saw in there? I remember them vividly. One thing that uh, if you like ask any street artist here or just any artist that uses the, the art drop, the most popular thing that you'll ever see if you ever like choose to open the box is you're, you're going you're gonna to see stickers. The outside of it is decorated in a bunch of stickers. The inside of it is decorated in stickers. Uh, there's free stickers, I, I'm sure, like all the time to pick up there. And um, every artist I feel who uh, does like street art, well, I wouldn't claim every artist, but a majority of like the artists who use the art drop have like their own little personal like shoe boxes where they like collect stickers over time. And I've been collecting a bunch of like stickers from like okay. artists that I've run into because it's like it's like our little like, you know how like people have like their business cards and they kind of right. trade that. We have stickers. It's your, it's your business card stickers. <laughs> That's our business card. It's, it's stickers. <laughs> and so um, like I, I, I remember the, the first uh, stickers that I saw were from a variety of artists, a couple who uh, have either like graduated or have since like dropped out of Columbia. Uh, and who are still active in the community doing artwork and and they come from like all sorts of places I think that's another like very special thing about the art drop is that uh, and it's one of the things that uh, one of the sources I interviewed talked about uh, the person who had organized the um, humble park art drop uh, she had uh, attributed the fact that it, it's very cool to be able to have a space where like you normally don't see like the same faces the same artists it's always someone new mm -hmm. and you can be an artist from the south side of the city and you go to the art drop you can get a piece of artwork a sticker maybe from an artist all the way in the north side and that's how you connect that's, that's how you network and that to me is just so incredible and a couple artists i remember very very vividly because i still talk to them they're incredible. Like shout outs to like Clue Chicago, Vasm, Young Harlan, uh, Frills, and, and a, a couple more. But those are like the main four that like ring a bell. Fire Falco, uh, and they've all been like long-standing people in, in the street art community. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, Katie, the one that uh, cre the creator of the Humble's Park art job, right? And then yeah. she mentioned a bit about how she credits these free art exchange spaces for contributing to sort of a cross-pollination 
of artists from all over the city like you just mentioned you you could find things in there from people that are just from as far as you know south or you know south loop chinatown everyone coming together kind of to, to try to like put their art in there and kind of create a community and i think that's that's awesome when's the last time you actually put in something in there have you put anything in there uh recently i think the last time i put something in the art drop i mean if, if I'm walking by and I just have some like extra stickers, like I, I throw like a couple, like three to five in. I think the last time I did that was after I I had interviewed a, a faculty member in the 623 building and I was just like, oh, well, I'm here. I might as well like see what's up. Uh, that I think was like two or three weeks ago. Oh, so sort of recently. Yeah, pretty recently. Um, I, I do know that like one of the things with the art drop is that they were really uh, impacted by the pandemic, especially. Uh, especially like those early months in, in March and April when like the lockdown that, yeah. happened, no one was at the, no one was on campus, no one was downtown, like everything was just locked down. Uh, the Wabash Art Shop was kind of like dead for like a little bit. No one wanted to touch it, no one wanted to go near it. It was empty for months. Um, but like a, a funny thing is that in the wake of like the protests that were happening in the summer in response to like racial injustice, um a lot of buildings and a lot of like structures were damaged uh that were like on wabash where the art box is at um but the art box remained untouched that's one thing that the oh, wow. person who created the wabash art shop uh had like told me in the interview i had with her uh which is just like it, it shows that like <laughs> like <laughs> oh this matters we won't mess with it um but like i, I think that's that's just just a cool little thing to like a fun fact to like know um but I, I i do know now that a bunch of artists now that you know we've returned on campus now that we're like coming back and we've reopened uh there's a lot more artwork in that art drop and so like any student on campus right now if you're listening to this like literally go right now outside to the wabash art drop because you will find something, some incredible artwork that like will, will leave a lasting impression on you. Because there's wonderful artists here at Columbia, and the Wabash Art Drop serves as a as a platform to like elevate their voices, and that's incredible. I might work on something and drop it there too. You got me excited about it. <laughs> and it's not just limited to. Uh, I know I've been like hyping up street artists. It's not limited to just street artists. Um, a variety of artwork that I see in there is not just stickers. Uh, there's zines. I've seen people like put 3D printed objects in there, uh, little plushies sometimes. People sometimes drop off like t-shirts that they like design and just throw in there. It, there's always something cool. Um, it's open season there, huh? It is. It's open season because <laughs> uh, like it, it's like you never know what you're going to get. I remember one time uh, this was pre-pandemic uh, and it was like after like midterms week of like my fall semester. This is my first year at, at Columbia. Okay. But I, I remember like starting to use the art drop regularly and like opening up the art drop and I just see like a plant that oh. was just like thrown in there. A plant? But, huh? What the heck? Oh, uh, just a plant. It was just not even like a terracotta pot to come with the plant. No, no, the, the plants plant. with the roots out. It's, oh, it was goodness. just like thrown haphazardly there. It looked pretty. I didn't pick it up, but like People oh. throw like candy in there sometimes. I don't recommend picking that up. I don't recommend up. the candy. Yeah, I don't recommend <laughs> I don't that. recommend picking up food from the Wabash Art Drop, but like zines, uh, like 
prints that people make if, if because you know we have the print center at, at the 623 building uh people print their stickers transparent stickers at the dpc uh posters people throw them in there and it's just there's always something uh and there's just a variety of talent at this college and that's what i love so much about like columbia is that wabash art drop serves as like a beacon to show off all of these like wonderful wonderful artists uh irvin thank you so much yeah for sure happy to be here this was the chronicle headlines i'm your host nathan serkin and i'm amaris edwards and And we'll we'll see see you next time. time